My name is Charlie, and I'm a marijuana addict. It's been hard to pin down exactly what it is that I want to share about my experience, and in particular this idea of the California dream. Because don't we all have those dreams of utopia, of sunny skies and days of leisure and relaxation? But somewhere along the way, the California dream, my version of it, was frustrated. I can't say the marijuana was entirely to blame, but I would say that it had a tendency to fuel a certain sort of ambition, which wasn't bad in and of itself. The ideas, the sort of creativity that seemed to flow when I smoked marijuana spoke to something genuinely good about human desire, about my desires, and even about the possibilities of what these dreams entailed. And yet at the same time that I was having all these epiphanies and ideas, many of which I wrote down in these little notebooks on my shelf, and I I'm glad to have a record of these because they take me back in time to, to where I was mentally when I was having some of these ideas around what I wanted to be, what I wanted to become. And some of those dreams I'm happy to report, I've actually begun to achieve. For example, I got my captain's license a couple of years ago, but it wasn't before being clean for, I think, four years that I was finally able to accomplish that. It was a long-term goal. It took a lot of planning and repetitive effort where day in and day out I had to get on a boat and log that sea time 360 days to be precise and I think that other people could probably benefit from some of my experiences since I stopped smoking marijuana uh, over six years ago now I actually initially gave it up for Lent as a little experiment and in, in the process of that 40 days of abstaining, I realized a lot of things about myself and about the nature of this addiction. I won't say that those 40 days gave me the clarity that I was hoping for to then embark on the path of getting my captain's license or any of the goals and, and dreams that I had, but they showed me what it was like to function without this substance that I'd become so dependent on that is cannabis. Cannabis is baffling, cunning, and I forget what they say in AA about alcohol, but it's all these things that alcohol is and more. With respect to getting the hamster wheel going in our head, the rationalizations about how it benefits us and gives us more creativity, maybe helps us unwind, and all of these things may be true. They're true, especially when you first start smoking and you get this sudden burst of energy on creativity of novelty, that everything around you is suddenly hilarious and, and joyful. Many people just spend the, the first couple times that they get high just laughing. And they're not even sure why they're laughing, but everything seems funny. Everything seems almost more real. But that which goes up must come down. And for every action, there is something of an equal and opposite reaction. People understand this when it comes to the hangover of alcohol. But with marijuana, we're not necessarily accustomed to thinking along the same lines. And there isn't the same sort of hangover that you get from alcohol with the headache and upset stomach, feeling like you can't get out of bed. 
Instead, you're left with a feeling, my friends and I, we used to just call it being washed. I don't know if the kids still use that terminology today, but it's, oh man, I'm super washed right now. You're just, you're flinching a little bit from, from reality and, and from the world around you. Everything might seem a little bit duller and your mental edge is just slightly not there in the same way that it would otherwise be. But in general, it fades and being washed is not so debilitating that you can't hold down a job, keep up your studies if you're in school, like I was during most of my heavy using period throughout my college years. But it comes to take on the form of what one doctor called the mild pervasive decrement, you know, the opposite of an increment. It takes you down a notch. Instead of putting you up a notch, just cuts you down. So if you're here mentally, in terms of your acuity, you'll just get cut down a little bit. You're not going to suffer a withdrawal from smoking a couple of times, but if you make it a part of your habit, as I did, it became a part of my daily routine, it became a part of my mental edifice. The thing holding my whole psyche together was this substance that artificially inflated these senses of creativity, quote unquote. And it, in a weird way, it, it actually fueled my ambitions. This is not the stereotype of the pothead or the stoner that we get from the media, the, the sort of lazy couch potato. But in my case, the richness of these visions that I had when I smoked, I would scribble down notes about things that I wanted to do. And I'll just find an example here because there's countless of them. The, the, these sort of half-finished aphorisms where I'm talking about my values and, and my goals. Here's one where I'm talking about, oh yes, here we go. And this one says, Mount Doom or Bust. This was a plan that I had to, to hike up Mount Lassen, and that never happened. Just one of many things that, that I, I wanted to do. Oh, here's another one that, that's fun. When I was doing a little bit of accounting and suddenly realized that after what I owed on my credit card bill and some upcoming slip fees, I only had about $5,000 in net assets to my name, and I also owed taxes that year. So this was October 16th of 2015, just a couple of months before I quit smoking in 2016. And it, it's really revealing to, to look back on this, to think about where I was and hopefully how far I've come. But I recognize that I still have a long way to go towards achieving some of those original visions of financial and creative independence, having a, a thriving business of sailing and doing what I love on the water. I've gotten closer. I'm now doing six-pack charters on my sailboat, Sunkiss. You can check it out at uh, SB Sunkiss on Facebook. But I'm still not where I wanted to be when I was still feeling the excitement before it became this mild, pervasive decrement. There were a couple of years there where maybe my using seemed manageable. And then eventually it became less and less manageable. And Ultimately, I actually had a series of rude awakenings that led me to see that this was not sustainable at all, that I could not manage my using. And as much as I tried, as much as I said, I'm only going to smoke in the evenings or on the weekends, or maybe after 4 p.m., then that became 3 p.m. And before long, it's 10 a.m. And then it's, I won't smoke before work. And I was living dangerously. I, I don't want to understate the severity to which it impaired my overall cognition. Things like managing complexity, your executive functioning, and any kind of learning that you would otherwise be gaining from your everyday life go out the window. 
We all know potheads forget things, lose their train of thought. But beyond that, what's really happening is that it's dulling the pain of the consequences. Normally, we learn things by making mistakes, feeling the, the consequences, the embarrassment or the shame or the monetary loss. And then that translates into a, a sort of awareness around that set of circumstances that I don't want to do that again. I'm not going to subject myself to the humiliation of messing up in this particular way. A lot of this is happening subconsciously. We'll tighten up around certain tasks. Our sympathetic nervous system will turn on. But marijuana tends to keep us in this more parasympathetic state, uh, rest and digest mode, as opposed to the, the sympathetic, which is more of the, the fight or flight. When we need to have a balance. We can't be in the sympathetic state all the time. Otherwise, we burn out. But we also can't be in the parasympathetic state all the time, just always chilled out because we need to learn. We need to realize when our actions are leading us into the ground. That awareness wasn't there for me for the period when I was using most heavily. There were all kinds of signs from my dwindling bank account to this long list of dreams that I wasn't accomplishing to the relationships that I was leaving in a shambles. All these things got left behind and I still felt okay because I had this exogenous chemical telling my body, telling this endocannabinoid system that everything was okay. This inner cannabinoid system that we have is always pulsing at, a, at some level. There's a, a phrase in, in physiology, tonic pulsing versus phasic pulsing of our, our neuron. The, the signal gets sent across the synapses at a certain rate. And there's your baseline tonic rate that those signals are getting sent. But then there's also uh, what's called a phasic response, which is in response to something, this, this situation that comes up. Or it could be that you start bombarding those neurotransmitters with some exogenous external source like cannabis. So smoking weed falls under the category of bumping up your phasic response. When you smoke, you're going to make the highs higher and then the lows lower. When you come out of that, your endocannabinoid system is really all mixed up and it, it's not calibrated the way that millions of years of evolution have honed our physiology to make us good learners and to make us responsive to our environment, whatever that environment may be. And this is really what the, the intelligence of the human species is based around, is the ability to incorporate patterns and information. And many people report that on marijuana, they sort of start seeing patterns in all kinds of places. Same thing with a lot of psychedelics too. Your pattern recognition goes a little bit haywire. It's not a matter of shutting down brain activity. It's actually increasing brain activity, blood flow, things like that temporarily to parts of your brain that are normally less active. So that's where that feeling of euphoria comes from and creativity, that everything that comes into your mind is a great idea that you should act on later. Or that every joke or, or a little slip-up becomes a hilarious joke. When in reality, these might be very mundane things that you're noticing, but you're attributing to them more meaning and you're attributing this pattern that's actually not really quite there. So our whole mechanism of picking out meaning in the world, deciding what matters, this is the challenge for human beings, wherever you're born, whatever time and place. And today in my own home state of California, there's never been more opportunities for a young person. It's a very exciting time, but a lot of people, myself included, are buying into this lie, this really pernicious lie 
that A, marijuana is not addictive, and that B, even if it maybe is habit-forming, it's a lot less harmful than things like alcohol. And I want to say it's not one is more harmful than the other. It depends on your cognitive type, whether or not you're prone to uh, dependency on a substance, whether you're prone to these kinds of patterns that I was, where I really got sucked down a rabbit hole and wasted years of my life, or at the very least, there were times when I could have really spun out of control if I hadn't had good people in my life helping me get back on track and serving as this sort of external conscience when my own conscience had stopped functioning. So just to reiterate, when we flood our body and our brain, our nervous system with these exogenous cannabinoids, our endocannabinoid system, the internal neurotransmitters that we automatically have at all times that are just acting to, to make us basically feel good, that, that's linked with our reward and sense of motivation. We get a boost in our uh, endocannabinoid system when we exercise, when we you know get closer to our goals, all these things. When we get into a flow state, all these things trigger our endocannabinoid system to some extent. When we flood them exogenously, we're, we're actually even though in the short term, boosting how good it feels in the long term, we are diminishing their potential to deliver those same rewards and to deliver them in a way that's actually linked with action, either good or bad. So for me, the real discovery process has been figuring out how to get back on track with a well-calibrated endocannabinoid system. And I think the process, whether you're a marijuana addict or just someone who's struggling with motivation, who is trying to reach your goals and finding that you're frustrated by your inability to do so, the best advice that I can give is to get back to the basics of calibrating a healthy endocannabinoid system. And I don't know why there hasn't been more discussion about this, because it really seems to lie at the center of not only overcoming addiction and dependency, but also just living a happy and meaningful life. So in my case, I've had to go back through these old notebooks and pick out what are the things that are meaningful to me? What are the things that I find both rewarding and physically satisfying, but also that can be sustainable, that I can do long-term and derive whether it's monetary benefits from it or physiological benefits. And I just want to touch on a few things that for me have been particularly helpful in this journey. The first one has been outdoor natural movement. I really swear by a system called MoveNat, which stands for Movement in Nature or Natural Movement. And it's about getting back into our more primal environment where we're reading cues from the environment and subconsciously adjusting our bodies big part of the philosophy of MoveNet is taking away some of these buffers between our bodies and the natural world, whether that's thick cushioned shoes or a lot of layers for working out. If you can really get down to t-shirt, shorts, and either bare feet or a minimalist shoe, if you're not quite ready to make that jump, you're putting yourself in contact with the elements. Your skin is connected to the air. Your feet are connected to the earth. And this has profound effects on our physiology as well as our mental health. Just having your bare feet come into contact with the cold, moist earth is something that most people don't experience at all in a given day, if not 
throughout the year. This is something our ancestors would have experienced virtually every day. And our early ancestors didn't know anything else. They didn't even have shoes. So we actually have lost something by putting this buffer between us. And there's an analogy there between the marijuana smoking serving as a buffer between uh, us and reality, where it might make us feel more in touch with nature initially. And, and if used in moderation, it might be able to do that, just lift you up to the, the higher highs without having such a, a pervasive lowering of the lows. But if you're using marijuana habitually, and you're only encountering nature in an intoxicated state, you sort of lose the ability to enjoy it in a sober state. So that's where natural movement for me was a way to immerse myself again in nature in a way that I could find stimulating. And also in the process of exercising, vigorous exercise is going to stimulate your endocannabinoid system. Related to this is breathing. Doing breath work like Wim Hof style or uh, yoga breathing, there's any number of modalities. Stan Groff actually has uh, a method called holotropic breathing. Stan Groff was one of the, the early pioneers of uh, psychedelic studies with LSD. And when LSD became illegal, he was looking for a way to help his clients get high illegally. And he discovered that doing this sort of deep breathing over the course of half an hour or an hour controlled hyperventilation could put you into the same state of altered consciousness that you get from taking drugs. But as Wim Hof would say, it's getting high on your own supply. So breathing was another thing that would just get me back in touch with that parasympathetic state if my sympathetic nervous system was feeling overstimulated. And I can't fail to mention here that sailing was a huge part of my recovery. Obviously, I had encountered sailing back when I was still smoking and using, but it wasn't really until I stopped smoking that I was able to, A, learn how to sail properly and, and do it safely and uh, with confidence, but B, also to come in contact again with the unfiltered environment. And you've got wind, you've got waves, you have to be paying attention. Your body is moving within this fluid medium where the boat is moving and you're moving within that motion. It's an experience that I liken to the, the better part of getting high. Although in the case of sailing, it's, it's something that doesn't have a come down. You come back to the dock after a long sail and you might be feeling a little bit uh, shaky for a minute, but overall what you experienced on the boat is something that you take with you on the shore in a positive way. I call this the even keel. It's the equivalent of a balanced sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And this term actually comes from one of the, the forerunners of the MoveNet system named Georges Hebert. And Hebert was a French naval officer who observed, you might say, primitive, quote-unquote, people on these French Polynesian islands. The Isle of Martinique was uh, a place that he was stationed uh, before the war. And Hebert advocated natural movement as a way for his naval recruits when he was an officer to, to get in shape. And this system spread all around Europe and all around the world as the most efficient way to produce uh, well-rounded soldiers who had composure under adverse circumstances. They trained in the elements, they trained on boats through wind, and Hebert was a big fan of this practice of uh, intentionally exposing yourself to the elements in order to develop that even keel. Same kind of thing that you get from cold exposure with Wim Hof style breathing. You 
learn to control your nervous system voluntarily. You use your own kind of willpower to, to bring it under your own voluntary control when instincts would otherwise be kicking in. This speaks to a, a larger project than just overcoming any narrow category of addiction like marijuana or alcohol, but I find it to be extremely rewarding and it's something that I continue to practice at the even keel, whether public speaking or encountering some sort of new situation in which I might otherwise feel a lack of confidence, knowing that I've trained for it and that I can get myself into a state of awareness and composure. The even keel is a huge thing, and sailing has definitely played into that. So when I was first learning to sail after quitting smoking, it, it felt just horribly overwhelming. The sails are flapping wildly, and I don't know what to do, or the outboard suddenly quits when I'm trying to get into the slip. And I had to improvise, and I'm sure that I grew some new brain cells in the process of what was a very intense learning process. This neuroregeneration is something that only happens when we put ourselves in situations where we have to adapt. And our brains are incredibly plastic when we make these demands on them. It's only when we shut off those demands and start expecting less of ourselves that, that our brains say, hey, I've got the, the day off. Maybe I can just turn off some of these brain cells that I'm not using. So you've got your outdoor natural movement. You've got your breathing, your exposure to the elements, whether it's through sailing, maybe windsurfing, or anything that gets you out into the, the unfiltered environment. Maybe it's a hike in Yosemite where you experience the, the awe of nature and all of its grandeur. All these things, I think, will start to recalibrate your endocannabinoid system. And then I would also add a diet to this list. When you're eating poorly, you're just causing stress on your body unnecessarily. Things like dark chocolate and raspberries, these really antioxidant-rich foods, can help boost and heal an overstimulated endocannabinoid system. So that's another place that you might start if you're struggling with motivation is just fixing your diet, not eating too much, especially early in the day or before you need to apply yourself to work. Just trying to go a little bit lighter. Intermittent fasting is another area where you can boost certain hormones like uh, adrenaline or, or norepinephrine, which are alertness hormones. And uh, you have to be careful about this because you can also upregulate your cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone that puts you in that really sympathetic nervous system state and that oftentimes, if you take it too far, can push you into that zone where you're just going to want to smoke to turn everything down. So there's this paradox in our modern world where we're constantly using stimulants like caffeine. Some people might even use something stronger or some of these nootropics that are extremely powerful. They might be helping you do your work. Study aids like Adderall are very helpful for people with attention deficit disorder. But in my experience, there's a price to be paid for being on all the time. And that price is, again, what goes up must come down. If you're always trying to be on, your body is going to want to compensate for that by slowing down. That might translate into some cravings for the exogenous source that's going to just turn everything down a notch. And then finally, the last thing that I would be remiss if I didn't mention in terms of how to unwind from a, an overstimulated endocannabinoid system is, is finding a higher power. As people who follow the, the 12 steps or who have ever encountered 
Alcoholics Anonymous will know that this is basically step one of the 12 steps is admitting that you're powerless over the substance in question and that your life had become unmanageable. So the surrender and the admission that we are insufficient on our own to overcome these incredibly strong forces within us is something that takes humility, but for me, it was absolutely essential. There's uh, the one day at a time saying, which for me was huge when I was coming out of my addiction. Really, the first six months or so, all I could do was take it one day at a time. And even after that initial six months of sort of white knuckling, it took some time being in, in a recovery group, a marijuana anonymous group, actually, to start to really understand what it means to surrender and uh, to give it over to a higher power of your choosing. And uh, I am someone who believes in a higher power, and not everyone uses the same terminology, but having something that's higher than yourself, who you ask on a regular basis to help you with not only temptation, but also to bring good things into your life, to help you to discover what it is that you truly desired, that you were using the cannabis as sort of a, a workaround to get to, but which now you'll be able to pursue directly, or at least more directly, because you have the capacity to learn. There's much more about the 12 steps that I could talk about, and I'm sure that I will in future episodes, but I just wanted to kickstart this because it's so easy to just continue to think about having a podcast. And I've been ideating this Dreams and Ashes podcast for so long. Who am I going to invite on? How am I going to get started? But I'm realizing that to really get started, I have to get started and I have to put something out there that shows that I'm serious about this. So the other day I, I did a little collage on my back porch and I came up with the cover art for the show. And this, I mounted it on a piece of hardwood so that it would be permanent. Now there's no escaping it. These are just some of the themes that I plan to explore throughout the series, weaving them into the insights that I've gleaned over the years and the insights of the guests that I'm going to be having on about what it means to really follow your dreams and focusing on my own environment of California, which needs more dreamers, needs more visionaries. We've got the internet and we've got all this energy around technology. And yet so far, most of what we have to show for it is just these smartphones in our hands that end up taking us into virtual reality most of the time and not always bringing us into the real world where these problems, huge problems facing places like California and really by extension, the whole world, wherever you are, your state, your country, your locale more than anything where you can influence things needs you and needs you to be acting on your deepest desires. And I do believe that the universe or God or your higher power, whatever you want to call it, is calling everyone to find a spot, to find a way to make a difference in this short amount of time. And we don't have time to just sit around smoking weed and hoping that it's all going to fall into place because that's not how it works. So I hope that uh, you'll follow me along on this journey. Dreams and ashes. Don't let your dreams turn to ashes. Follow your dreams and make them happen. See you on the road. <laughs>